Good morning, everybody. It is man coverage with Knoxville Nate and Rico McCoy. It is January 2nd, 2022, if you can believe that. Uh, we are experiencing a missing person today as Coach McCoy Rico, our good man, is down for the count and feeling sick. Thus, we have brought in our Midwest correspondent, Mr. James Bonneville, to step up and help us out today. How are you doing this morning, James? I'm doing great. You know, sometimes you got to bring the twos in. You know, hey, bad. you are no two. You are a one, <laughs> and we have you on the show all the time. We love uh, what you do. Hell, even when Rico's here, you're on the show. So we like it uh, when you join us, and I'm just glad you could uh, step in. Hey, I wish I just could be the pretty face that Rico is. You know, he brings a lot to the table, and hopefully I can live up to his uh, his image and what he's brought to the show. He is a good-looking guy and he is. Uh, was a hell of a football player. Um, Absolutely. We don't talk about it all that often on the show because he's a very, very modest guy. He doesn't he like to pump himself up, but this guy was a three-time All-SEC linebacker and uh, led – the Tennessee Volunteers to their last uh, SEC championship game uh, in 2008. So we love our boy Rico. I hope he, uh, I hope he's watching. I hope he feels better soon, and I hope he gets to come back and join us. But I'm um, sorry he's not here because we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, I've got to be honest. You know, there's been a lot of talk the last few years about how the bowl season doesn't mean anything any, anymore um, with with kids opting out, which we'll get into later, with the playoff, with the four-team playoff, all that type of stuff. You know, people say, you know, bowls don't matter. The, no one watches those bowl games. They don't really matter. I think this bowl season, Bonneville, has told us all that it does matter. Um, yeah. These kids these kids care. I don't know if you watched, for example, we just talked about Rico playing for Tennessee. I don't know if you watched the Tennessee-Purdue game. I don't know if you watched the Ohio State um, Utah game, but all those kids look to me like they cared. What do you think, James? Absolutely. I mean, you go back to that Tennessee, that, that music city bowl. I mean, if you miss that, I mean, you missed a treat. My wife is yelling at me to stop watching so we can eat dinner. It was like, <laughs> I kept, I kept telling her, I'm like, if I put my phone down for one second, the game could completely change because it was such a street fight. I mean, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the entire time I'm sitting there thinking about it, like we were texting back and forth about this. What if a George Karloff this plays in the game? What if a David Bell plays in this game? I mean, that could even elevate their draft stock even higher because a lot of people across the country don't know who a David Bell is in big 10 country. Everybody knows him. He's the best receiver in the conference, which is saying a lot because I've never seen the conference this stacked with receivers. And George Karloftis, since the second he came on campus, has been dominating. And you put him on that stage in that game, it would have been fantastic. I mean, NFL scouts have been drooling all over each other. I agree. I, I You know, they were able to – Purdue was able to pull it out. Yeah. But the whole time I was watching it, I was thinking, you know, if they – uh if they had Bell, if they had their All-American defensive end, I, I think the game would have been a little bit more one-sided, to be Absolutely. honest. I mean, but th there was more care in that game than I've seen in some time. I mean, I, I, I could if I'm a Tennessee fan right now, I'm excited for what Josh Heupel has brought to that program. 
it's probably the most excited I've seen since you got to go back to heck T Martin playing quarterback. I mean, it's really amped up on that level. And I love to see the players that they're going to bring into that program, especially at quarterback and on the defensive side of the ball, they play an exciting brand of football. Yeah, no, um, you, you have to give this guy credit for what he's done this year to win. Yeah. I, know, I know they lost that game, but to win seven games, with that roster is is absolutely phenomenal in my opinion, and um, and kudos kudos to Coach Heupel. I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure that he'd be able to come in and fix this, not because he can't coach, just because this is a big oh big it's, task. Th- this is a complete renovation where you're ripping out the foundation too as well. I mean, we talked about this a long time ago. I know Kirby Smart was big uh, SEC Coach of the Year, but honest to God, if you really want to give it to somebody. Shane Beamer or Josh Heupel really should have been considered because what they were dealing with just to make it to a bowl game was shocking. I mean, I don't think, I think the over-unders for them in Vegas was like two, maybe three tops, three wins. And they go seven and eight. I mean, I I mean, what more can you say? I mean, outside of Baylor and Michigan winning two games last year and going to 11 and 12 this year. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. I, so I think they finished seven and seven. They did, Who, right? Uh, uh, Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah, I think they were seven and seven. Right. I think so. Or seven and six. Yeah, seven and six. Yeah. Um, so, so wins. To, regardless, to win seven games is pretty impressive, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, they they played, and the whole you know beginning of this topic was those guys played hard and mm-hmm. they weren't in the final four and so i really believe uh the bowl season is still live these guys cared these guys played tough and, and kudos to all the guys that went out there and did play and um you know obviously i, I you know we'll get into the opt-out situation a little bit later i want to talk um at length about that not right now but i do want to get into that and discuss it um first off i want to talk about the big time games i want to talk about the college football playoff. Why don't we start with number one? Why don't we start with Alabama? Um, we all know about Nick Saban. We all know about the Crimson Tide. They seem to win the national championship every season. And they, you know, this this was the one year where I looked at them and was like, you know, this is not their strongest team. No. Um, you know, I, I think I think maybe they've had better ball clubs than this. Uh, prior to this season. However, they may have the two most electric players they've ever had. Will Anderson Jr. on defense, Bryce Young on offense. Those two guys uh, just, they make up, in my opinion, they make up for a lot of deficiencies. And um, the offensive line has finally come together. It it took a while, but, you know, Brian Robinson Jr. running for 204 yards against a Cincinnati defense that's been pretty stout all year, I, I was pretty impressed. What do you think? I, you know, I, it, it's funny to look at that game plan that Mike Denbrock put together. They were going to make Alabama run against him. They were not going to let them throw all over him, which kind of shocked me. I mean, granted, when you've got between Gardner and uh, uh, who's the other corn? Bryant. Yeah. I mean, they've got the best two corners in the country, bar none. Yeah. I mean, I, there'd be people out there can say different, but when they're, those two guys are going to be drafted very early in the draft, 
Alabama, I mean, Cincinnati wanted to take away the pass from them and make Alabama beat them on the ground because their offensive line did have problems at points during the season. You can't say that for the last four games. Alabama's offensive line, especially against Georgia, looks stout. And it showed. I mean, especially with John Mechie out, I'm kind of shocked how they didn't throw another guy in that box and really try to put pressure on that offensive line to open up holes for Robinson. But they kept to their game plan, and Luke Fickle is very systematic in that way, and it cost them in the game. I mean, but you can't take anything away from Cincinnati. They deserve to be there. There's a reason why they were was were there. But the offensive line play or the line of scrimmage play was dictated the entire game. Yeah, they, they kind of got shoved around a little bit. But, you know, they made it. They were undefeated. They won all their games. I, I don't like the talk about how they didn't deserve to be there. I, I yeah. do believe they deserved a shot. Let's be honest. They got they got a little bit screwed in the rankings. They had to play the number one team. They got ranked fourth. That put them up against Bama. Um, you know, maybe not the best situation, best matchup for them. But I did like how they, you know, they, they stopped the passing game. They pretty much shut it down in the yeah. sense that, you know, Alabama only threw for 181 yards. So well, that, that you, was pretty you look impressive. At the, the passes per completion was at eight, uh, 6.4 yards per completion. I, I'm trying to remember the stat where yes, Bryce Young where Bryce Young usually averages eight to nine yards of completion. I mean, that just shows the strength of that secondary at 3-3-5 that Mike Denbrock set up, which you'll soon have in LSU next year. Yeah. No, it, it was a um, it was a great performance by their defense. I liked the game plan. The problem was, you know, they they couldn't stop the run. And yeah. we, we talked about it, uh, you know, over the weekend, how, you know, the game started and they just started running it down their throats. And yeah. I was like, this this could be a long day if they can't uh, can't stop the run. And, and they weren't able to. I mean, Alabama ran for over 300 yards. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr., like I said, 26 carries, 204 yards, 7.8 yards a carry. Uh, it's tough to win a ball game when you're when you're giving up eight yards a clip. Um, that's no matter who you're playing. It's, it's very difficult to win when you, you you're giving up eight yards a carry uh, to the to the number one back. And kudos to Brian Robinson. Let's talk yeah. about this guy for a second. He's waited his turn. You know, yeah. he never really – he never started a game in, what, 40, 50 games he's been at Alabama. This year was the first year uh, that he's ever started. And he, he – he this kid sat, he waited, he didn't hit the transfer portal, he stayed where he was, and he finally got his shot and he made it happen. This is what it's all about, in my opinion. I love how this kid waited for his turn. He got his opportunity, and now look what he's done with it. He's going to make himself a pro football player uh, by what he did against Cincinnati, in my opinion. I, I, honestly, I think that's I, – I think you're going to see a evolution on the transfer portal in the next four to five years because some players are going to see it's not always greener on the other side of the fence. It, no. You could be com- dealing with completely different problems and regret moving away from where, what you had. Um, I, I think just because it's new, a lot of players are doing it because they want to get on the field quicker to showcase what they have. But – I mean, you look at Robinson, he's a Tuscaloosa kid. You know, this yeah. is a guy who grew up with the Crimson Tide. And it's just good to see him get a showing because in the last few years, the receivers have been the the, the class of Alabama. And you've seen it kind of dwindle down that maybe they go back to the running game and more of their base roots of who they are. Yeah, they definitely were a running team the other day. Uh, that was That was kind of cool to see. 
And, um, you know, what, what can you say about Nick Saban? I know he gets a lot of credit, but he probably deserves uh, even more credit than he gets. I mean, this yeah. is phenomenal what he's done at, at Alabama to continue this type of success for this long. It's not easy. I know he makes yeah. it look easy, yeah. but it's not. And that's why these other programs that are out there, they get mad, you know, if they lose one game, like like the Buckeyes, like Clemson, you know, but it's like, it's not easy to go in year in, year out and win every single game. I know he makes it yeah. look that way, but it's really not. And the foundation is really set in the spring and summer with him. You know, they, they get so precise in what they do because a lot of people forget year one at Alabama, they lost at home to Louisiana Monroe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they ain't losing to Louisiana Monroe anymore. Um, <laughs> if they, they do, that could be a sign of the apocalypse. Yeah, no, they, they're they they're pretty much on point and uh, they're going to another another national title game. So, you know, congratulations to them. I'm getting a little sick of seeing it, to be honest, but, you know, they're, they're damn good and uh, they deserve uh, they deserve all the credit they get. Now, in the other matchup, we had a, another SEC team taking on the Big Ten champion. I uh, won't say their name, but they have that little weird thing on their helmets and they, they wear the, the maize, and, uh, maize and blue. Uh, you know, this game, to me, kind of went how I thought it would. Uh, to be honest, I did not think that that Michigan was going to be able to run on Georgia's defense. I did not think that, you know, that, that Stetson Bennett was going to have to throw the ball that much, although he played pretty well when he had to throw it. But, you know, the Georgia offensive line dominated the Michigan yeah, defensive yeah. line. And that was kind of surprising to me after watching, you know, the couple weeks ago when Ohio State's offensive line had a big problems with Aiden Hutchinson and, and, and the crew, uh, Georgia did not. And they kind of pushed around Michigan's defensive line all day. And they pretty much neutralized, uh, Aiden Hutchinson who didn't really make a play all day long. And, and, and honestly, you nailed it on the head. Uh, they realized early on that their tackles could handle Ojabo and Hutchinson on the outside, which left their guards. I mean, their Georgia's offensive line isn't as good as it's been in the past. They had struggles, and you've seen that day where they really handled it, and Michigan never got creative on their defensive side of the ball. They do, did a lot of base stuff, and it hurt them. I mean, it, it, you go – I mean, it, it, and then you look at the offensive side of the ball. There were two telling points in the game where everything flipped, and one was on the first series that Michigan had where they went for it on fourth down. They needed to score some points in that first drive, and when they didn't get that fourth and four in the 41 of Georgia, and Georgia just screams down and scores another touchdown, the game was over. You could just see the body language right there on Michigan's sideline. They knew it was going to be a long day. I mean, heck, in the first half, Georgia did not have a third in more than five, more than three, unless it was inside the Michigan 20 in the entire first half. And Michigan and Georgia are not good third down teams. They're not good third long. And Michigan just played right into Georgia's hands. I mean, they should have. There was one play early in the game where uh, it was a passing play, and they just rushed the front four, kind of like what Bob Stoops used to do at Oklahoma when he had Tommy Harris, and drop back seven because they didn't think the quarterback was going to run. They did it one time, and the rest of the game they kept away from it. 
and they, they should have had put JJ McCarthy in and let him go. Yeah, that that was the question I was going to ask you because I'm I'm a little bit confused. You know, they say that Cade McNamara is their starter. They they say he's their quarterback. They talk about how great he is, and then it gets to third down and they take him out. Yeah. So I, that confuses me. I mean, and, and this guy is coming back next year, and they're going to have both these guys again. Don't you have to pick one? And and leave him out there full time. I mean, I I don't I just don't like this inserting the quarterback. It's not fair, in my opinion, to the other guy. Um, you know, bringing him off the bench. He hasn't been out there all day, and then it's you know the second third series of the game. It's third and four, and you run McCarthy out there, and I don't think that's fair to him or McNamara. Um, what do you think? What do you think about this uh, quarterback deal? Well, I, I think we can go back to uh, a, a conversation we've had many years ago about a certain coach people call the old ball coach and Steve Spurrier, who used to do this routinely at Florida with, I mean, heck, a Heisman Trophy winner in Steve Spurrier, in, in uh, Danny Werfel. And I, I, I don't get it because I think you lose the, – the, the offense could lose confidence in that guy depending on what the situation is. You could be a complete tell of what they're doing on the other side of the ball. And now the quarterbacks are constantly pressing themselves. I personally don't like it. You got to go with the girl that brought you and see what happens from there. And if things change, you make the change. Kind of like what Utah did going from Charlie Brewer to Cam Rising. And look what things happened there. They went from a team that probably would have gone to the Las Vegas Bowl to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, no, I agree. I I think that – I think that you just have to keep the guy that's your starter on the field. Yeah. I mean, this is the guy that you say is your starting quarterback. You 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 name him your starting quarterback. It's third and four. Lead the guy in and let him see what he can do. I, I just don't understand the throwing a different guy out there. And I, I'm interested to see what happens for next year, um, whether they have a true competition and whether they open it up. You know, McNamara is setting himself up for something here because he's coming back. And he's supposedly competing. What if he gets beat out? He's just going to sit on the bench all year long and uh, be the backup to McCarthy. I mean, that that's going to be pretty awkward. Yeah. I mean, it. well, in this day and age, that means he's transferring right there. He's not going to wait around. I mean, that's what I was just, getting at. I mean, it, it, it's just uh, these coaches are now looking at their two and three depth chart constantly and trying to balance out playing time. I mean, I, I was wondering that about Ohio State's receiving core all year. Like, how are they going to keep everybody happy? It's difficult. Um, being yeah. a college football coach is a lot harder these days um, just because you still have, you know, the recruiting that you've always had. But then you have to be, um, you know, then you have to kind of make everybody happy and you have to keep everybody happy uh, no matter who it is because yeah. anybody can leave at any time. And there's no, there's no, you know, having to sit out a year. You can take off and, you know, take your wares elsewhere whenever you want to. And that's, uh, that's a scary proposition for some of these guys. But, you know, we've got the college football national championship is set. We have a rematch of the SEC championship game. Georgia handled their business. Alabama handled their business. The question now is, you know, what happens? Do we... Do we see the same game that we saw in the SEC championship game? Does Alabama dominate Stetson Bennett in Georgia? Or does Georgia and Kirby Smart change things up 
and uh, try and make this thing a little bit more interesting and, and, you know, have a chance. I know that Georgia is favored in this game, but, you know, they, they did kind of get smacked around a little bit in the SEC championship game. Who, in your opinion, James, who wins this game and how does this game go? Well, what's the line right now? I haven't seen the line quite yet. I believe it's two and a half. Uh, two and Georgia. a half to Georgia. Yeah. Um, I personally, with over uh, over under 52 and a half, I personally would go with Georgia on this one. And the reason being is John Mechie being out. Um, now you could really, you know, roll your coverage over onto uh, Jamison Williams and, and really make Bama struggle. I, I think, I mean, granted, Bill O'Brien's a smart guy. I mean, it, it, people, you know, maybe be down on him, but he doesn't have the talent level that Steve Sarkeesian had when you have four first-round draft picks at receiver and quarterbacks who are first-round draft choices. He doesn't have that here. There isn't the depth. And I, I think you take that away, and if Georgia can just get out of third and long, I think they have a chance of winning this game and getting the monkey off their back from, and people stop talking about 1980 and Herschel Walker. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since they've actually won a title. The other thing is, you know, Nick Saban's got a pretty tremendous record against his former assistants. What is it? Four and one. I think he's four and oh against uh, Kirby smart. You know, it's, it hasn't really been done. As far as a uh, you know, a coach coming in and being a former assistant of Nick Saban coming in and, and taking him to task, so this will be a first if they can do it. But I feel like if any time, uh, if there was any time where Georgia could potentially beat Alabama, I feel like it's this game. They've they've already played once, they've figured out what worked and what didn't work. The question is, <laughs> for me at least, you have to look at the quarterback position. And I look yeah. at the quarterback position, and I feel like, you know, this guy playing for Bama, Bryce Young, he's better. I mean, I, I'm, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I hate to, to beat a dead horse and to point out yes. something that's very obvious, but it is obvious. This guy is a better quarterback than Stetson Bennett is, and and you know, Stetson played pretty well uh, against Michigan, but this isn't Michigan. This is Alabama. Um, you know they are uh, they're they're a very good football team. Will Anderson uh, Jr. is the best defensive player in the country, in my opinion. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you roll your protection to him. It doesn't matter if you have two guys blocking him, double team him, chip him. It doesn't matter. This guy can beat anybody and get in the backfield. Uh, it seems like he starts the play in the backfield a lot of the times. I know he's not, but it seems like he does. If you get a chance to watch the All 22, they did a they did one of the cast of the All 22, and they cut out the announcers of the Cincinnati Alabama game. You truly get an appreciation for Will Anderson even more. Like he was dominating on such a level that I mean, I think he's top three in the draft. Easy. Oh, I agree. I think he's the best defensive player in the in the country. And to be honest, yeah. if I'm picking number one. And um, if I am, uh, you know, I, I need a defensive lineman. That's who I'm taking. I mean, that's, that's what I'm doing. If I, if defense is my main point of emphasis, if I've already got my quarterback in place, I'm, I'm taking this guy. Um, he never takes plays off. He's got a high motor, high energy. He seems to love football. 
And the upside to him is just unstoppable. I mean, he's he's the most dominant player. He's the most dominant player in all of college football, in my opinion. And he's a guy that we already knew about. And so to, yeah. to be able to dominate like that when people already know who you are and they're already thinking about you and game planning against you, that's what's really impressive to me. Yeah, I agree 100%. So we'll see. Um, I think I think it'll be a good game. I don't think um, we're going to have, you know, I know some people were a little bit upset about the uh, first two games and how, uh, you know, they went because it was they were a little bit lopsided. Yeah. But, you know, that we kind of expected that we talked about it on the show a few weeks ago that we kind of expected uh, that to happen. We figured that Bama would take care of business. We figured that Georgia would take care of business. Um, but, you know, things can change in a game. I mean, if we talk about uh, last night and the Ole Miss-Baylor game, I mean, I'm sure nobody expected that game to go that way when Matt Corral, uh, you know, decides to play but then goes down and gets injured. Um, you know, that definitely affected the rest of that game. So, you know, things can change in a dime. And I, I wanted to talk a second about that game. Got to be impressed with Dave Aranda and what he's done at Baylor, right? Hey, honestly, how can you not like Dave Miranda? I mean, this is a guy who came up the hard way. I mean, his career ends early in college, and he goes to, you know, coaches at his, at his alma mater uh, and then gets fired at one point at, at Hawaii, and Gary Anderson brings him to Utah State. And that's the first time I got to see him because they played Wisconsin and Auburn that year at Utah State, and they took him to the end. Yeah. And really, in both games, should have won, and that's when they it, they he, he got on my radar because I'm like he's taking a bunch of guys who aren't even second level, but really third level, and taking on top ten teams and taking them to the brink. And look at where he's been since then. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty impressive, and you know, definitely one of the biggest turnarounds in college football history. And uh, you know, this was not. Nobody was talking to me about how Baylor was going to come out and dominate this season. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't hear anyone tell, talking about that. No one was giving them a shot. Uh, I didn't hear anything in the preseason about Baylor, you know, potentially winning the Big 12 and, and playing in the Sugar Bowl. And, um, you know, they did it Dave Aranda way. They played defense. That defense was unbelievable last night. I mean, talk to me about Terrell Bernard. 17 tackles, two sacks, two tackles for loss, a pass defense. I think he uh, I think he blocked a punt, too. Yeah. I mean, this guy was all over the field. Um, and then, you know, they had uh, two guys that got interceptions. One, JT Woods, had two interceptions. And then Al Walcott, uh, you know, got that other tip ball and took it back 96 yards. So they, they are a defense that is good on every level. They have a really strong defensive line that can get after the quarterback and can stop the run. They've got unbelievably athletic, phenomenal yeah. linebackers, and then they have a tremendous secondary. I mean, their quarterback threw for 40 yards, and they won by two touchdowns. I mean, yeah. <laughs> hey, get, I have to say is this. Give it two to three years, and you start getting a random guys in there, I mean, it was testament watching him at Wisconsin. That's when their linebackers, when they became really linebacker you in, in the Big Ten. Because yeah. it, out of the blue, you'd never – all of a sudden this guy would be starting. Next thing you know, he's going to be in the NFL. You're saying his name by week five. 
how this guy is amazing. And he knows how to develop these guys. He's got great zone blitz schemes. He's so disciplined. It's it, their defense was, was unbelievable last night. Yeah. I uh, couldn't believe, I mean, I understand that Corral went down. I understand, yeah. you know, I, I give Corral a ton of credit for playing in this game because this is a guy who was going to get drafted yeah. uh, probably in the first or second round. Yeah. Um, but you know, let's be honest. He was two of six for 10 yards and an interception before he got injured and he got injured when he was getting sacked on the play. So it's not like if he would have been out there, they would have just dominated this game. They weren't, he was struggling before he got injured. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say if Corral plays, they win. Uh, Baylor looked pretty damn good before that. So, um, you know, obviously putting a freshman out there, he looked like a freshman at times, but made some good throws in Altamire. Yeah. Um, but I got to give Dave Aranda credit, man. Nobody, I thought somebody would come and hire this guy away uh, from I, Baylor, but I, apparently not. I, honestly, I thought the USC job, I, I, I yeah. kept going over and over my head. I'm like, he's a perfect fit for USC. I mean, there's a lot of Pete Carroll in him. I mean, both come from a defensive side of the ball. Um, obviously, Pete's a little more dynamic in nature, but... I mean, could you imagine what he could do in the Pac-12 with that defense? I mean, we could be going back to the good old days of USC. And don't get me wrong. I think Lincoln Riley's going to do a fine job, but it's going to be more offensively based. I mean, they're going to throw the ball up a lot, try to score 40. Yeah, no, that, that's that's what I was thinking. And, you know, I if he can get this group of guys yeah. to trust him and to believe in him, he talked about that after the game was the trust. Uh, that he was able to get from these guys to believe in what he was preaching. And a lot of these guys um, that I mentioned, uh, you know, from their defense could have taken off. Could yeah. have gone elsewhere. I mean, even uh, before all the portal, if you have a coaching change, they used to let guys leave. And a lot of guys could have jumped ship and could have gone elsewhere, but they stayed. Uh, they believed in what Aranda was saying, and they uh, made it happen. And uh, I give him a lot of credit for not only keeping those guys there, uh, but what he was able to do with them. But like you said, wait till he's able to get uh, some guys in. They were able, they had one of the biggest turnarounds in NCAA football history. They won 12 games for the first time in Baylor football history. And now he's going to be able to keep a lot of that Texas talent right there in Waco, right? Absolutely. I mean, remember in 2020, he went two and seven and he got hired late after Matt Rule went to Carolina. Yeah. Now you give this guy another year, it's going to be spooky what's going down in Waco. Yeah, I agree. And um, a big, big time performance on a big time stage. And uh, like I said, nobody was talking to me about Baylor and no. uh, them being a potential team to make a, a big time January one bowl game. So uh, I, I, I would have said going to a bowl game would have been a freaking victory in this team. And they go to the Sugar Bowl and win it. I, yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, just by looking at Oklahoma State, and we'll talk about that game here in a second, but being able to beat them and win the, uh, you know, Big 12 championship, you know, that's impressive. Even yeah. more impressive now uh, when we go back and, and talk about that because Oklahoma State uh, was able to, uh, you know, take down the Irish even after getting down uh, quite a bit. I think they were, I think it was 28 to 7. If yep. I'm not uh, if I'm not incorrect on that, but uh, before we talk about that, why don't we uh, discuss a little bit about the granddaddy of them all, 
uh, because James, we've got uh, Bobby Carpenter here. We're going to bring him in because he doesn't have too much time. We want to get him in with us uh, before we lose him. Absolutely. Bobby, what's up, brother? You hear us, Bobby? Yeah, I got you now. For some reason, hey, I yeah. through my headset. Yeah. How you doing today, bud? I'm doing well, guys. How are you guys doing? We're doing wonderful. Thank doing you so great. much for joining us. And uh, while we're here, why don't we get right to it? I want to get your impressions uh, of that ball game yesterday and the Buckeyes being able to come back. Uh, obviously, 35-21 halftime defense was not looking great, but things turned around in the second half and uh, were able to get some stops. What did you think about uh, the Buckeyes' performance? Yeah, I think it was definitely gritty in the second half. You know, Ryan talked about it, you know, and their desire to have, you know, come in there and um, step it up, play tougher football. And you saw they're just getting bled in the first half. And it's a lot of what Michigan kind of looked like where you're just getting oozed, where there, there's no firm point of attack at all. And so to hold them to you know, 10 points in the second half, I thought was very impressive. Did a really good job. I mean, they're understaffed. They are. I think they maybe dressed four or five healthy linebackers. That's why they had to move. And that was including Cade Stover. You know, so moving him over there, trying to get that done, uh, it was big time. You know, and just really like the mentality that they had. I mean, it, it's hard sometimes when you're getting run over to come in at halftime, regroup, you know, readdress the problems and get those things fixed. And they really did it, you know, in a pretty big way against you know, one of the teams I think was people thought was one of the hottest teams in the country coming in with how they played the last three weeks of the season. And, and I think the last piece like before the game, you know, I'd done a, I'd done a bunch of media stuff and talked to a bunch of people about it. And I kind of put my number. It was like, you know, if they can hold them to under 120 yards rushing, I was like, it should be a, a pretty nice game for fans to watch. You should feel good about it. It's like there's a, they can still win if they give up more yards than that on the ground, but it'll be a little bit uncomfortable. And I guess, you know, that uncomfortable win was a you know, three-point victory with like seven seconds left on the clock. Yeah, there's no doubt. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, they were they were playing a little shorthanded. I mean, Garrett opted out. Um, you know, we had these five guys that uh, were starters on defense that were missing. Let's be honest, the defense hasn't been our strong point all year long anyway. Um, but, you know, the the linebacker position is is one that, you know, very well. And that's, uh, you know, been a struggle for us all season long. But as you mentioned, I feel like Kate Stover came in and Played pretty well considering he's been a tight end all year. And then Steel Chambers is a guy that was a running back last year. And I feel like he's gotten better uh, year by year. So talk to us just a little bit more about that position and what you see going forward with them. And also, I wanted to get your take on, um, you know, the defensive coordinator coming in next year, uh, Knowles from Oklahoma State. What do you feel about that hire? And what do you think he can do uh, with these guys on D? You know, Jim, Jim Knowles is, I'll start with him first. You know, he, he does a good job. They're very multiple at Oklahoma State. They're really good this year. They had, I almost, I believe every starter in their top 11 was a fourth year player or older. So you know, the ability to have veteran guys allows you to be multiple. And that was part of the problem this year on Ohio State is they were very young, especially at the second and third levels. And then when they had these injuries, you have guys you know, like Dallas Gant, you know, Kayvon Pope, you know, leave in the middle of the season, veteran players who you know, could have added something. And definitely as the as injuries happened and things got stretched, you know, could have played a role, you know, through the final four or five weeks of the season. Um, but I think Jim Knowles, he'll get it cleaned up. A lot of it is just, 
you're watching the second half versus the first half. They're more firm against the run. They're better tacklers. Like that, that's the mentality. That's things that are practiced. That's things that are worked on. And those come obviously as the players improve with experience um, as well. So that's a big piece of it. And then, you know, you talked, you know, Kate Stover coming over. I, I don't think people truly understand how difficult it is, you know, to shift positions midseason and especially shift sides of the ball. Like you don't practice tackling on offense. And that's your primary thing that you need to be able to do on defense. If you cannot tackle, you cannot be on the field. And so for him to switch over and do that, and I, I liked it. I got a chance to see him in practice. He's a big physical body, and the matchup works perfectly for what Utah liked to do to get two tight ends on the field. You could get him down on the line of scrimmage, pound on that tight end wing, help give the defense an edge. You know, he did a pretty good job. I think he had six tackles. You know, uh, Steele's coming along. He's really athletic. He can make plays. He's still getting a feel. And that's why you see some inconsistencies in his play. Some weeks it's better than others. But I think he's going to be very good. And he's shown a lot of flashes of it this far. You know, the guy I think that stole the show yesterday was Tommy Eichenberg. And if you think at how you know maligned and everybody was on him, and just watching early on in the season, you know, whether it's him or Cody Simon, you know, then and Steele, like things didn't necessarily look good early on in the year. And a lot of that was due to like some inconsistencies up front with the defensive line. And when things aren't giving you a clear picture and you're a young player, you're not all that experienced, it's going to be really difficult to handle that. And I thought Tommy and, and those guys came a long, long way. And you know, to see a guy who people were talking about how he shouldn't even be on the field and he played 80 snaps and no tackles, to have 17 tackles in a game is incredibly yeah. difficult. I mean – I don't care what type of game it is, everything like to be able to do that. And he made some really nice plays. You saw him being more aggressive. And I try to explain to people that everybody remembers guys their last season at Ohio State. And they remember how good they were, you know, their juniors and senior year. Very few people remember and like look back at some of the growing pains. And I look at some of the struggles I had as a freshman and as a sophomore, I'd get on the field and you'd make some plays, but you'd give some up. You know, and the same thing with AJ and James Larnice. All these guys will tell you that they were infinitely better their junior and senior years than they were as a freshman or as a sophomore and as a first-year starter. And that's what Cade Stover or uh, Tommy Eichenberg was this year. Is he didn't really play much football, and a lot of that was due to the linebackers. They had four seniors last year and a COVID-shortened year, so these guys didn't get any real game reps. So finally, after a full season and a tough physical game, to watch Tommy Eichenberg step up and play like that, it really warmed my heart. He, I was just going to say the same thing about him. It seemed like in the third and fourth quarter, that's the only name you kept hearing. He just kept wrapping up so well, where in the first half, it seemed like a lot of people were just trying to hit with the shoulder and just try and knock him down. And they, Eichenberg just had that old school mentality in the third and fourth, fourth quarter especially. It just seemed like it was just a repeat. They kept hearing his name getting called over and over for the tackle. And he, his di ability to diagnose plays, shoot yeah. through there, making some in the backfield. It wasn't like they were 10 yards down the field. So, you know, he was a big piece of that defense firming up. And, I, I mean, I'm a true believer. It's tough to have a great defense without having great linebackers. Oh, and yeah. you know, this year, there was a little bit of struggles there, but you saw the second half, I think, some flashes. And hopefully in the future it doesn't – you don't have to get to that point where obviously you have a, a very underwhelming first half by any standard – but the ability then to step up and get the job done and get some of those key stops in the second half like that, I w it was very, very impressive. And I was very proud of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, I was too. And, and Bobby, you've been around 
Buckeye football for a long time. And, and you know that our fans are, are bonkers crazy. Um, and uh, they are. I mean, I, I'm one of them, but I, I'm not one of those people that's ready to uh, give up on the season after we lose one game or fire the coach because we, we lose one game. But there are those people out there. And so there was a lot of pressure in this game, in my opinion. And, you know, it doesn't make it any easier by, by having, you know, two of the greatest receivers in our history, uh, Chris Olave and um, Garrett Wilson obviously opting out, but I wasn't too worried about that considering we had JSN and we had, um, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. and those guys, but just talk to me a little bit. I want to hear your thoughts about obviously, um, you know, Smith and Jigba had a phenomenal game, one of the greatest bowl games in the history of college football, but also uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. and what he was able to do. I mean, his performance got a little bit overshadowed because of uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, but he had a pretty damn good game too. He played really well. And that's I, that was probably the position that you could afford guys to opt out of the most. And while they weren't as experienced at the wide receiver position outside of you know, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, who had made a lot of plays and played a ton of snaps for this Ohio State team, you know, with those guys opting out, it was going to give those young guys a chance to shine. And, you know, everyone you know, has been critical a little about Jamison Williams and being down at Bama. You know, the reason Jamison Williams wasn't going to get on the field as much as he would have liked this year, and he, and he would have played a lot, was because of Jackson Smith and Jigba. So you know, Brian Hartline knew what he had right there. He had witnessed it. You know, you know, you saw at the end of the season with some of those guys, Olave and Wilson, you know, getting nicked up at times, kind of opened some things up for him and what he was going to be able to do. Uh, so very, very impressive. Uh, from that standpoint, I don't think anybody anticipated that, but you know, you did. I did think he would have a. I did think he'd have a good game. If you would have told me that 150 yards and two touchdowns, that's one thing. Having 350, I mean, that's that's just absurd. But you talk about obviously Marvin Harrison Jr. What he was able to do, very very important. Did a really good job. But then also, you know, Mecca Ibuka. I mean, he got one of his kickoff returns called back, and he's ripping those things down the line. He's really talented. You saw him make some plays. Julian Fleming made some plays. Like They have three really good young guys that they're going to have to integrate into this offense next year. They're relentless workers. Brian Hartline does a great job of identifying the right type of players as far as skill and personality type and their desire to work and their desire to be part of a team and go compete. And so those guys, you're, you're going to see this here for the next couple of years. And my hope is like just that Brian Hartline stays at Ohio State for as long as he wants. Hey, I got a question for you, Bobby. Would you, okay, comparing old school to new school, you look at Olave Wilson and uh, Smith and Jigba versus Glenn, Galloway, and Boston. Who do you think would be better between those two groups? I mean, that's that's tough. I mean, David came in. The thing was, these guys were all kind of clustered together age-wise. You know, David was a freshman in 96. Terry was there in 97 or 95 with Joey, but didn't play a lot. You know, I love Joey. Joey's one of the fastest players. He might be the fastest guy I've ever been around in my life, to tell you the truth. He's he's a remarkable athlete and, and absolutely tremendous. And it never got a chance to you know be around David all that much. I played with Terry for two years in Dallas. And um, you know, for a guy who I grew up watching Terry Glenn and then seeing him at the end of his career, I mean, he was still remarkable for my money. The season he put together in '95 with just how offenses have changed now, how much they threw the ball, the type of passing games. You know, the, there, was, there was no targeting. They didn't call P.I. the same way. I mean, and Terry's not a big dude, and he would go climb the ladder and go get the football. And, uh, you know, him and Olave remind me a little bit of each other with how smooth they are with their breaks. 
you know, Terry has huge hands and would catch absolutely everything. I have a hard time taking anybody over Terry Glenn just because he was the guy of my childhood that I loved watching and then getting a chance to actually play with him and seeing that firsthand in the NFL and like listening to other guys just rave about him and watching him take big hit after big hit and make catches. I always will have to lean on Terry, you know, individually as a group, those three guys, I think collectively with the, where they're at now, numbers, number of games, like they're going to have better statistics. Uh, but it's tough because you're asking me to choose against guys who I grew up watching, you know, and really idolizing. And then you got guys who I've got to know who are really good players and they're going to make some great pros as well. Yeah. We'll talk about watching guys play. I, I was lucky enough to live in Columbus. Uh, I played at Ohio Wesleyan and then after graduated, lived in Columbus and got to watch uh, Schlegel, uh, Hawk and Carpenter. And uh, I shall never forget that as you guys dominated for years and Bobby, we really appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, just before we let you go, I got a last question here. Um, you know, what does this do uh, for the Buckeyes, being able to come back and win this game? And, um, you know, after the first half, especially, and after what happened in the, the game that occurred up north, uh, you know, how does this help the Buckeyes going forward? And what do you expect um, going into next year? Well, you heard everybody address it, getting that bad taste out of their mouth. Like they're not going to forget the Michigan loss, but you at least didn't have to wait, you know, 300 days to avenge and go go get a win and, and feel good about something. And I, I don't necessarily believe in like team momentum coming out of the bowl game, you know, as far as what that'll do for your team. But I do believe in the ability to have momentum on an individual player basis. And you look at like what some of the receivers we just did were talking about. You look at what Tommy Eichenberg did. Um, you look at what, you know, CJ Stroud, you know, Travion Henderson, a lot of these guys, you know, what they were able to do and put together. Um, I think you can carry that momentum over into winter conditioning into the spring. Now the coaches, I mean, they know what they had. They knew what they had before in Jackson Smith, but like Marvin Harrison Jr. Seeing him go out and play, like you can start crafting roles because it's not a projection anymore. It's not like, Hey, we see this guy do it in practice. We think he can do it in games. It's we've watched him do this in games now. Let's start tailoring some things in our offense or defense to what they do well. And, you know, for Tommy Eichenberg, I think that's a massive amount of momentum you know, that he was able to get going, you know, for that linebacker group and people to kind of establish himself, you know, as a leader in that, in not only the, the, the unit of the linebackers, but also the whole defensive unit as well. Like, I think that that's important. So being able to have that, carry that win over, it's an 11-win season. It's a Rose Bowl victory. You know, Big Ten fared pretty well in bowl games, I believe, going seven and three, I think, if they're all done now. And, you know, Iowa, heck, you know, they, they had a good shot at winning that. They wouldn't have thrown the pick at the end. But, um, you know, Big Ten fared pretty well. And I think most people are pretty impressed. And so now let's get back to work. And you know, the the standard is the standard. You know, their, their, their goal is to try to get to a national championship. I know they wanted it this year since it was in Indy. And, you know, sometimes things don't work out, but they've got a good recruiting class. They've got some really talented young players, as you, you saw last uh, night. And uh, I'm excited to kind of watch these guys grow through the next six months. Yeah, no doubt. I am, too. And, uh, Bobby, we, we know you're busy. We love what you're doing uh, all over the place. I see you at Sirius XM Big Ten Radio on OutKick. Uh, love it, man. Keep doing what you're doing. And thank you so much uh, for coming on and giving us a few minutes today. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Sorry, I just uh, drove back from Florida yesterday. Watched the games. I mean, it was, it was a packed, packed day. So trying to get everything unpacked. Day. So I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, man, hey, happy, great. happy New Year. Yep, Happy, happy New Year, Bobby. Year. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, bye. Wow, that was uh, Bobby Carpenter 
former linebacker at the Ohio State University. His dad was an NFL player. Bobby played in the NFL. As I just mentioned, he's on OutKick. Uh, he's on the Big Ten Network. He's on 97.1. The fan has his own show. Uh, it is called uh, The Morning Juice on 97.1. He's all over the broadcast world, but was a hell of a football player. He's a really cool guy. And uh, God, I think he's, he's got a paper out. I think he's got a paper out too, because it seemed like that guy's always working. I mean, he's always doing stuff. It's crazy. <laughs> he is, man. He's all over the place. He's like, um, uh, he's he's like the uh, Lance Meadow of college football. Um, he, he's, <laughs> he's everywhere, and um, I'm so glad he was able to come on with us today. He's been super busy, and like like he mentioned, he was at the game uh, yesterday, and. Um, He's been bouncing around all over the place, and to to get him to come on today and give us his perspective, I think was awesome. And uh, you know, uh, big big that was an important game. I mean, yeah. people can say whatever they want to about Utah. Um, you know, you can say whatever you want to about the Buckeyes, but you know, people love to hate on the Buckeyes. And if they if they were to lose this game. It just would have opened up a lot of uh, a can of worms of people of criticism on the coach, on the team. Um, and I think it was an important win. And it was even the not only was the, the win important, but the way that they won was important because it looked like to me. And I wanted to ask Bobby this and I forgot, but it looked to me a little bit like at the beginning of the game that one team had a bunch of guys opting out and they didn't really care. And the other team had everybody there. And we're so damn excited to be in the Rose Bowl that they were going to do whatever it took to win. And that's what it kind of looked like in the beginning. Did it look like that way to you? I, I, I thought so, too, to tell you the truth. I mean, it, 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 that's the one thing about college football is it, it, there's not that big a wide gap where you can just show up and roll the ball out in the field and you can win because you've got those, you know, you're wearing the you, you've got you you're wearing the helmet. It, those days are done, especially yeah. in bowl season. I mean, yeah. there are going to be those guys that are just going to want to win it more than you. And Utah came out fast. I mean, they came out like they were on purpose. And Ohio State, you know, to Ryan Day's credit, I mean, there were plays you could definitely see, having watched Ohio State through the year, that they're running motion to see where those safeties are at. And I go back to the Minnesota game, where once Jordan Howden went down, that's when problems started happening for Minnesota because they were trying to isolate Calvin Swenson, on either Wilson or Olave, and they went deep. And all those touchdowns in the third and fourth quarter happened off that. So, I mean, yeah. it's they they got together and they made it happen. And it's going to be interesting to see the development of that receiving core. Uh, Travion Henderson, C.J. Stroud. I mean, he went from being a baby at the beginning of the year to being a Heisman Trophy finalist. Yeah. I mean, that's saying I, a lot. Hey, you know what? I I – I criticized him a little bit at times this year just because there were instances where he looked nervous. You know, he, yeah. he was nervous. He he looked like he wasn't sure what what he should do. He wasn't 100% on his reads. Uh, he looked like he was a little bit, um, you know, just anticipating things a little bit too quickly. The game was going a little bit too fast for him. But let's be honest, man, those those days are behind him. He, he yeah. looked – he he had is just as much pressure on him yesterday as he has ever had, and my God, did he deliver six touchdowns, you know, almost six hundred yards passing, and uh, hell, everyone's talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba today, and and as as well they should be, 
But let's be honest, somebody had to put those balls on the money. There were two passes that I keep going back to, and you know which ones I'm talking about, both in the end zone, to Marvin Harrison Jr. and to Smith and Jigba in opposite corners of the end zone. And I sat there, and I'm like, that was on the money. Like, completely, if it's off by six inches, there's no touchdown. And it, it was... It was impressive, really, really impressive watching him deal. Like, he he literally looked like he was in command of everything during that third and fourth quarter. Yeah, dropping those balls over the outside shoulder in the end zone when they have matter of inches to catch and get their foot down. People don't realize how hard that is, but that's one of the hardest throws in football to get it over the defender get it right where only the receiver can make a play on it and get it to where he can catch it and put his foot down uh, before, you know, hitting the pylon or before stepping out of bounds is, is truly a difficult task. And he, he made it look easy yesterday. So, and, and give credit to Ryan day too, because man, I don't know what the hell he said to him at halftime, but it it sure made a difference because they came out not only um, with a lot more effort, but also it looked like they believed they could win and they could come back and take care of business. And they, they did that. You know, it's one of those things where like an old school coach would have done the rant and raving. I think he probably went in there and granted, I don't know Ryan day at all, but you could see how they could have won that game in the first half and just literally sat there on the chalkboard, dialing it up. And it was a lot of it really into their, their wheelhouse. I mean, the only person I'm really shocked that didn't get more touches yesterday was Travion Henderson. I was expecting him to have some flare pass where he goes for 80 at some point, and it never happened. Yeah, no, I, that's a good point. And, um, you know, we didn't really get into that with Bobby, but the Utah defense did a really good job um, containing him for the yeah. most part. I mean, this is a guy that was a touchdown, long, you know, yardage play machine all year long. And it seemed like, yeah. you know, whenever the Buckeyes got in trouble – Henderson was able to bust a long play and uh, make it happen. Now, he still had 17 carries for 83 yards, almost five yards of carry. He had a good game, but he didn't have that one play where he he broke yeah. it and, you know, had 40, 50 yards in, in one clip. So, you know, and, that, and I, I think that's a lot to, to Utah's defense. I mean, um, oh. I was very impressed with uh, Micah Bernard, uh, the, uh, uh, the corner who also played wide receiver, and, and Suell. Uh, who played linebacker, and then also uh, Phillips, who, um, you know, had a really damn good game as well. And was a former Ohio State commit at one point, too, under Halfley. Yeah, yeah he was a verbal. Yeah. So that that's impressive. And you got to remember, you know, Ohio State lost to Oregon, and Utah kicked Oregon's ass twice. Yeah. So this, this, this matchup was not favorable uh, for well, Ohio State going in. You know, it just goes to show you over a 12-game season, Teams evolve and mature over time. And everybody uses the damn transitive property all the time. Well, if we beat him and they beat you, we could beat you by this much. Yeah, that doesn't exist. I mean, <laughs> I mean, let, let, I mean, teams at the beginning of the year are much different at the end, either better or worse. I mean, we've seen teams just completely implode because of locker room issues. And trying to keep the attention and that culture in place is the difference between a winning and a losing program in a lot of ways. And it, it was interesting seeing that, especially the development of C.J. Stroud. I mean, yeah. he looked like a lost puppy against Minnesota yeah. to going on the biggest stage 
in really commanding the game in the second half. I mean, he went from being 19 to late 20s in one year. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, you know what? Um, we, I live down here in the South now. And so all year long, all I hear is the SEC is the greatest conference in college football. Let's be honest. They probably, they, they have the best team in Alabama. Yeah. Georgia, Georgia's had a good year also. Probably maybe the two best teams are in the SEC. But let's talk about this bowl season, man. I mean, the Big Ten showed up huge. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, you go back, look at the SEC. Auburn lost to Houston. Uh, Mississippi State got throttled 34 to 7 to Mississippi State to Texas Tech. Um, you know, I'm thinking of uh, Maryland took care of business against uh, Virginia Tech 54 to 10. Uh, Michigan State beat Pittsburgh, you know. Really, Purdue beat Tennessee, as we talked about. Wisconsin beat Arizona State. You know, the only game uh, that that really, you know, I I kind of don't even look at is is the Wake Forest Rutgers game because Rutgers had no business playing in it. Yeah. But other than that, the Big Ten I think really showed that from top to bottom, they're a good conference. And oh, absolutely. I I mean, it, t- talk to me about your thoughts. It, it, honestly, I thought. I mean, go back to that Penn State Arkansas game. I mean, who on the defense didn't opt out for Penn State? All their best players. They go from being predicting to win to predicting to lose when you had that many guys out. And, oh, yeah, Jahan Dotson also goes announces for the pros. I mean, quite frankly, I'm shocked the Arkansas didn't win by more. But you go the regular season schedule, I mean, regular season roster, Penn State wins. That defense was lights out. Yeah, no, I agree. And, um, you know, Iowa, as Bobby was talking about, they they played pretty tough. I think that was the game uh, Bobby did. Um, yeah. You know, they um, they lost 20 to 17 to a Kentucky team that was um, Take a look, you know, let's call it the They're not Kentucky. They're Iowa South. Yeah, it's pretty much. Team. It's the same team. Well, you put a quarterback on Iowa's roster, and, and who knows, man, instead of 10 and 4, you might be talking about, 12 and two, you know, whatever. I mean, they, if they had a quarterback, I think Iowa would have, you know, a real chance of being a contender yeah, uh, yeah. throughout, throughout the country. I mean, they, you just can't, you can't win games against really good teams when you have a guy that can't throw the ball more than 20 yards well, uh, for a completion. You could say the same thing about Will Levis too. I mean, he had stretches where, I mean, both him and Petrus must've been doing uh, working out with uncle Rico at the quarterback school because it was I mean, it was so bad at points. I mean, it was, it, it was crazy. But you look at, once again, Wandell Robinson. For all you Big Ten fans out there, once again, Wandell Robinson shows his head again, this time in uh, blue and silver. But holy moly, was, did he put on a show in that game. Wow. He is so fast. And it'd be interesting to see him at the next level because he reminds me so much of a Percy Harvin. Yeah, where did he come from? He was orig- He was Mr. Football in Kentucky, and then was at Nebraska right. for the last few years, gr- transferred back to Kentucky. And, I mean, heck, Will Levis is a former backup to uh, Sean Clifford at Penn State. Yeah, Penn State. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. So, so Kentucky's team that beat Iowa was basically – uh, you know, a bunch of Big Ten players, and uh, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's why they were able to win. But yeah, what a game by Wandell Robinson! Ten catches, 170 yards, um, and and was big in that in that victory. So um, he's, good, good he's a fan. 
he is very, very fast. I mean, people don't understand how good this kid is. He never got to show how awesome he was at Nebraska just because of what their schedule is like. He is a kid at the next level that's going to do some damage. Yeah, 104 catches this year, 1,300 yards and seven touchdowns, 13 yards a catch with Levis at quarterback. Yeah, with Levis at quarterback. You give him a guy like C.J. Stroud and you tell me what he would do. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. So, man, what a uh, what a bowl season! Like we said, man, I I really enjoyed watching these bowls. I thought that it was great for college football the way that a lot of these games went. I thought I know there was guys that opted out, and and you know we talked about it throughout the show. And and these kids should be allowed to opt out. As yeah. We saw with Matt Corral; he got hurt. I don't think it's going to hurt his draft stock. But what if he tore his ACL? Uh, that yeah. would hurt. That would hurt his draft stock. I think he's lucky that he that he hurt an ankle. So these guys should have the ability to protect their futures if they so choose. And the guys that decide to play, good for them uh, as well. So I, I don't think it affected. Honestly, I don't think it affected the bowl season at all. Guys opted out. Guys played. The guys that were there played their asses off and uh, wanted to get a win for themselves, for their team, and for their um, you know for the name on the front of their jersey and the back. I keep going back to Jake Butt and Jalen Smith. I mean, look at how much their draft stock got hurt by getting hurt in a bowl game. And, I mean, heck, the signing bonus alone could take care of you for life. And I'm yeah. not going to shy – I mean, I'm not going to hearken somebody trying to take care of themselves and their family too as well. So, No, no, me neither. And um, I'm just glad that, uh, you know, and, and it was like it with the Ohio State situation, you know, that losing Chris Olave and losing – Garrett Wilson obviously is huge. Those are two of the greatest players to ever play at the Ohio State University. But you know what? It got Marvin Harrison some much needed time on the field. And it allowed us to see what Smith and Jigba could do when there wasn't two other All Americans out there with him. Uh, You know, we, we were able to focus on him a little bit more. And my God, he was uncoverable. Okay, I got something for you. And you're going to kind of laugh at this. I, and I wish I would have brought this up to Bobby. Don't you th- think JSN plays a lot like Marvin Harrison Sr.? He does. Um, I feel like I feel I, I feel like he's bigger than I feel like he plays like he's bigger than he is because he's not really a huge guy. Now he's not easy to bring down. Um, you know, when he's out there running, I don't know if you saw him on all of his catches yesterday, because there were a lot of them, but there were several times where there was a guy there ready to wrap him up and they couldn't do it. He either stiff-armed him or he ran through tackles. Um, He's only six feet, 197 pounds, but I feel like he plays a little bit bigger than that, just like Marvin did. Yeah, I I, it just, it it was interesting. (laughs) I kept thinking back upon his time, Harrison's time at Syracuse when Donovan McNabb was there. And it, it, it just, it, there was so much about his game that reminded me of that. And I never even thought about that until watching that Rose Bowl. So, well, 95 catches, 1,606 yards, nine touchdowns, 17 yards a catch for and Jackson Smith and Jigba this year. And he's the number three receiver on that and, roster. And he was the number three guy. So, pretty impressive. I uh, want to take a moment here and thank our guest. Bobby Carpenter, linebacker from the Ohio State University, Dallas Cowboys, New England Patriots, Detroit Lions, 
outkick the coverage, Sirius XM Radio, Big Ten Network. Uh, awesome guy. Really enjoyed him on the show. And thanks to our Big Ten Midwest correspondent, James P. Bonneville, bringing it to the table today, buddy. I appreciate you. Did a great job. Absolutely. And, oh, hey, Rico, if you hear me out there, get better, my man. Yeah, Rico, we love you, bro. I uh, hope you feel better. And uh, we will be back next week. Uh, talk some more college football and break it all down here on man coverage. Have a great new year, James. And I'll talk to you real soon, buddy. Okay. See you then, my man. Bye, bud.